You are likable. You are attractive. You are beautiful. Do you know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. The Coffee Sex Podcast. Hey, Christina. Hmm? You are likable, you're attractive, you're beautiful. <laughs> Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Mr. Robot episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Mr. Robot Season 2, Episode 3. Colonel Panic. I keep calling it Episode 2. I need to get over that. <laughs> yes, this is the structure we're on. It's called 2.0, but in reality it is Episode 3. Colonel Panic was written and directed by Sam Esmail. It received a 9.1 on IMDb. Woo! So we're down a little bit from episode one. What did they give episode one? 9.5, I think. However, it got 100% on the tomato meter. 100%. Okay. Ryan's not here. Elephant, not in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Um... He's in, he's in Manhattan. He couldn't make it this time. But word on the street is that he's going to the Mr. Robot store that is only open for a couple weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and hopefully he, he comes back. He buys us something. That'd be nice. Yeah. Maybe a mask. I want gifts. <laughs> I want gifts, Ryan. Getting into the notes for today, we can talk about the origin of the title, A Colonel Panic. This is when a Unix operating system detects a fatal error from which it cannot recover. Elliot sort of mentions that to us. It is roughly the same as, you know, the blue screen of death in Windows computers. That's how people used to refer to it. Yeah. The stop error. The panic sends highly technical information to administrators and developers designed to help identify the problem. But I think it often sort of means huge trouble for your computer, right? Yes, it means really bad trouble. I was I looked at the code. I took a, a photograph of it on the TV screen. Mm-hmm. I tried to dissect. I thought maybe like longitude, latitude. Um, I did find something. The segment where it has like uh, nine Fs and then eight O two O B four C O or zero. Uh, it just it's your hard drive has crashed. There's probably something else in there. I just don't know it. But if I do find out, I'll let you guys know. Is this the shot where it also said R I P? In the code somewhere? Yes, yes. (laughs) Because I thought that was interesting. As for our title extension, kernelpanic.ksd, this denotes a file encoded by KeepSafe, an app providing military-grade encryption of devices and backups for videos and photos. Okay, nice. This is high scale. Uh, Before we move on to this episode, there are two Easter eggs for last episode that we didn't get to speak about. Okay. Mr. Robot. Nope. Elliot, same one, same person. <laughs> when he's writing in his notebook, he creates, he draws with his pen a QR code. And people actually took a picture of it. And when you do that on your phone, it'll take you to a website. QR code basically is like a link. Okay. And it opens up to a web page that it, <laughs> it's, it reads Confictora Industries. 
it has a logo and everything. We put that logo on our Twitter account. And uh, it's very old school. It's really old. <laughs> yes. And it does say that it optimized for Netscape 2.0. Oh, 3.0. Which is, they're thinking it's around the same time when Elliot had his head injury. Okay. T- time frame in life is in, about in life. when this would have been created. Yeah. So they're thinking this was created possibly by Mr. Robot or his fa- his father, the mm-hmm. real father. Um and a cool thing is if you click on the terms of service, it brings you to the usanetwork.com terms of service. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. And there are some question marks in this webpage, which normally that means that there's a JPEG that is missing. Okay. So you have it pointing the URL to like the website.com forward slash images forward slash name of the JPEG. Mm-hmm. And if it's missing... The browser puts a question mark there. So I tried to find it, and I couldn't find it. Hmm. But uh, it's it's just another clever, funny thing. There's and it might guy. come... What is he doing? Jackhammering? Yeah, because it says, warning, <laughs> this site is hat. currently under construction. So if you guys want to check it out, it's configuraindustries.com. C-O-N-F-I-C-T-U-R-A industries.com, which is pretty cool. Cool. And there's a second Easter egg that we missed. When Z Corp gets the message about their files being encrypted and there's a time clock of how much time they have left. Remember um, when the two big wigs and that lawyer lady mm-hmm. are in the office and they're looking at a computer and there's a time frame yes. for when they yeah. have to go down there with the money? Well, someone took a screenshot of it and on that picture, I'll show you it right here, there is a uh, first connect IP address, 192 dot two five one dot six eight dot two three nine and if you put that into your web browser you get a page with with it looks like a mr robot face old and it says school. yeah old school uh, bit mapped your personal files are encrypted more instructions forthcoming 23 hours 59 minutes 40 seconds so this is javascript code mm-hmm. and if you right click and you go into inspect element on safari you get the code the Mm -hmm. html the network and there's two things you could do you can run the debugger and change the javascript from uh false to true okay just meaning it's checking has it been 24 hours you can hit true or you can go to uh, a decoder website because it's a base 64 code you copy and paste the code that you get into the uh source code into this decoder you hit decode and I could explain it more, but it'd just be really boring in a podcast. And basically, it'll spit out what the base64 code means. Mm-hmm. And it means, I sincerely believe that banking es- establishments are more dangerous than standing armies, and that the principle of spending money to be paid by posterity under the name of funding is but swindling futurity on a large scale. Thomas Jefferson. Wow, and that's, yeah, that's the same message as the video clip that we played at the end of last episode with the real anonymous giving us the message. For those of you who listened all the way through the episode one review, we put some of that at the end. We had to cut it off. But this is what they started talking about with the banking industry and sort of the ridiculousness of it all. We're the new kind of slaves, yeah. You know, they're they're loaning out money that's not backed by anything. And we as people are 
essentially building the banks because they don't really have anything in there. Now they put out a loan and they charge a certain amount of interest. And if you have a loan, you know that the first couple of years, you're pretty much paying everything that your monthly amount Mm -hmm. goes towards is interest in the beginning. And so this is how they make their money. And if you really thought about this on a large scale, why would you ever engage in these types of practices? Yeah. And they make it, they make us go to work because we have to do this and this because mm-hmm. society says. But that was complete happenstance. I put that up because I thought it was a cool video. Two, I'm sure there's messages of course. everywhere. This is what we talk about throughout the episodes and you know what does Sam Esmail put in there. And I think you could find things like this all over the place that mm-hmm. go back to his root Maybe hypotheses. Sam Esmail is one of the founders. Of F Society. <laughs> <laughs> no, of Anonymous. Anonymous, yeah. How funny would that be? Um, and I have one more epi- uh, Easter egg, and that's for this episode. Okay. And there's probably more. When Dominique is talking to her cyber sex partner. D. Piero. That's how I, I think of her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we just call her Dom. The person she's talking to, his username is Hard Harry, which is a shout out to Christian Slater's great role in Pump Up the Volume, mm-hmm. where he's a pirate DJ. Yeah. Christian Slater is Mark Hunter, a high school student by day, a pirate DJ by night who goes by the name of Hard Harry. Let me, we definitely need something new. Hallelujah. I don't know. Drugs are out. Sex is out. Politics are out. Are you listening to this? I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you in chem lab. And when you turn around, the smile just comes out all wrong. He became a voice in the night. Everything decent's been done. All the great themes have been used up and turned into theme parks. That woke up the town. They think you're moody. Make them think you're crazy. They think you got attitude. You show them some real attitude. Let me go nuts. Get crazy. I also have some tech notes for this episode. In the flashback, Mobley tried to recruit Romero for his skills in freaking, and I didn't know what that was either. This was the skill of emulating audio frequencies to access and manipulate telephone systems before phones became digital. That's kind of cool. I've never heard of that before. Another thing, Romero's PC was likely ignited by a thermite trap that triggered when FBI agents tried to access the computer. Thermite is a pyrotechnic that burns at high temperatures to melt the metal plates or silicon chips in hard drives. Wow. And we'll talk about that scene in a little bit. Absolutely. And the last thing is Ray and his associates talk about using Bitcoin for their unspecified business. This is something that a lot of people are probably aware of, but Bitcoin is an open source cryptocurrency using an open ledger with public and private keys. Transactions are anonymous to others with access to the network, so it has become popular with criminals. Yeah. They can Uh, send it back and forth. Ryan has spoken a few times about a few years ago they had that virus I guess you could call it, which locks up your computer. Mm-hmm. And your only way to get it unlocked is a key. And they give you the key if you pay them, but you pay them in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin, yeah. it's untraceable. Hmm. Okay, let's talk for a second about the music in our episode. Early on, we had Holly Jolly Christmas, which was interesting. You Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Dusty Springfield, played as the camera moves out of Coney Island, and we get that view of the city mm-hmm. before we go into our episode. The Highwayman, which is by The Highwaymen, so Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, 1985, this plays as DiPiero is getting ready to go to the crime scene. 
You have lovely Alan Holy Fuck. And just say the word Jerry Towns. I think there's a few others in there, but those were the big ones. But the music, like always, Sam picks the, just the poignant music. It, it really sets the mood and it adds to the video. Just like Game of Thrones, it, it, it's really well chosen. And you can tell they, they took their time on that, deciding what it is. And oftentimes they're older songs, which I like. Yeah, and even the sections where it's just scoring or instrumental, we'll talk about that a little bit too with this episode, is really key, I think. Episode three is jam-packed. We're going to do our best to move quickly through the synopsis, but I know we have a lot to unpack. They went to many different locations. There was a lot of shorter scenes cutting back and forth. If I have any complaints with this episode and this season so far is I feel like they're just trying to put too much into each episode. I sometimes feel like we're all over the map and it's very hard to follow what's going on. And I'm sure these are his intentions, but you leave each episode almost feeling exhausted. And, oh, very and I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to even go in and start my notes because I know that I'm going to feel overwhelmed trying to unravel it all. But that's the fun of it too. And we start off in a very different way. Sort of fun and exciting, this flashback we get to Jerome and Mobley mm -hmm. and Jerome explaining to him the Coney Island history of what is now headquarters for F Society. So let's go through that. In 1924, there was the group called Bedford Lilliputians and they created a freak show, or so they refer to it now. This was a show that involved dwarves and a miniature background or something of that nature. Uh, the man ended up killing his wife and his kids. Yeah. was the bottom line to that. Then in 1960, there was a woman named Mary Megan Fisher, and she turned it into an arcade called Games, Games, Games. She got so drunk one night that she tripped, landed on a pool cue, which went through her neck, and she died. Fun. So now there's a pattern developing. It was dormant until the year 2000 when it became Fun Society Amusement, LLC. As soon as he said that, which I'm sure a lot of people, I was like, oh, shit. Now we know where F Society came from. And I thought, I thought it would have a, a deeper meaning, but it actually, it's deep in its own right. Oh, yeah. I think this is why we're getting so much background because... That name in itself is just a small piece of the long history of the building in the area. And what does that say about them choosing this location? Yeah. They did ask what happened to the U and N. <laughs> and he said, I'll, I'll tell you. That's another story I'll tell you later. But it looks like unless we get a flashback, we'll never get that story. Because he's dead. Well, yeah. Rome. So the Fun Society amusement was run by a man named Ned Bosham. One year ago, we find out his oldest son, Harold, wanted to sell it, but the father didn't agree to that. Harold wound up stealing his twin brother's hunting rifle and shooting the father in the head. Except he didn't anticipate the kickback that was going to be on the gun. He fell out a 20-story window and died. The twin brother, Clyde, was arrested for double homicide because the gun was in his name. That sucks. <laughs> That's yeah. awful. How does that wind up happening? And we find out that Clyde was actually Jerome's cellmate. This is how the connection was formed. He gave him the keys to the place and made him swear to burn it down because he was convinced it was haunted and the nexus of all evil. 
since then, they've been living off the grid, siphoning electricity so that the government doesn't know about them. He wanted to rent it to Mobley. Mobley actually wants him to work for them, we find out. You know, Jerome just got out of prison for six years, so he refuses this initially until Mobley convinces him that they could get back at the system this way, and he has a guy who's a genius and a coder, yeah. and here we see the start of Elliot becoming their leader and running things, the team being put together. Did you have any thoughts about this opening? I Yeah, I love it when a movie or show, Game of Thrones does this often, they put pieces of a puzzle together that you even forgot that were missing. Mm. So we didn't know this whole storyline of where did they get this place and why is it abandoned and how? And even with Rome, we didn't know much about him except for his lack of faith in Elliot. Mm -hmm. We didn't know about his backstory and we finally got it, which was cool. It made me relate to him more just because I knew more of of his person. And he was kind of, he seemed like a cool laid back dude oh he was one of my favorites and i remember thinking from the very beginning why did they wind up at this arcade how did this all happen who are these people mobley rome we didn't kind of know that interaction how it had formed right and now finding out there's this long tainted history (laughs) why does this keep happening to people that own this place and who will be next so do you think the place has like a hex on it I don't know. Well, we already see now it's becoming a bit of a murder mystery. We have two people die in this episode. And we think maybe, what's his name died there? Maybe Tyrell. We saw the gun in the first episode. Or yeah, well, then the we gun. hear what we think is him on the phone in this episode, yeah. although I. Could I be a hallucination. Like, that still doesn't sound like Tyrell to no? me. No? I'm a little put off by that. I think he's got to be alive. Because episode one and two, they went, you know, there was a lot of time spent on his storyline or, you know, his wife. It's still Mm -hmm. his storyline. If he's dead, like, is there much meaning to him anymore in the storyline? Well, not necessarily that he's dead, but was it actually him on the phone? We see tons of things happening that aren't real with Elliot right now. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think that this is becoming bigger very quickly. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But what is the reason for these people dying? Who's behind that? We have some theories. Anyhow, this, getting back to our history, is when they start to pull out and we get a panoramic view of the city and the song You Don't Have to Say You Love Me is playing. And our next scene, we move into what looks like a house and Elliot is answering the red wall phone. And talking to the most wanted man who we think is Tyrell. Right. Or they at least want us to think, you never know with Sammy. (laughs) Yes, so possible Tyrell says he's not where he's supposed to be yet, but soon. And he thinks about the night when they became gods. What did you think about that? They've brought that up a lot now, Mm -hmm. recently. You know, we had that line from Mr. Robot that we can't help but think about. You were supposed to be my god. I was only supposed to be your prophet. Right. And now we have Elliot looking at religion later on in this episode and specifically as it ties into what he believes in. And he even says, I'm not listening to my imaginary friend. Why should I listen to yours? So 
the person who's running <laughs> his life, who's bigger than Elliot, is Mr. Robot. Right. And, and that's who he's answering to throughout the entire course of this episode. That's the struggle that we see. They are, in fact, bigger than anyone right now. This mm-hmm. hack has put the world at their mercy. And, um, you know, I just thought all those tie-ins were very interesting to think about. Elliot's clearly not ready to deal with that, but Tyrell sounded like he's relishing in it. Yeah. This is all he's ever wanted. Well, yeah, you see that his whole thing is about power. He wanted to get higher in that in E-Corp because of power. Mm-hmm. He's a power-hungry man. So, I don't know. He, he would. He also says, oh, how I wish I could be there. And I didn't catch this, but the song playing in the background, just as he starts saying that, is Henry Burr performing, oh, how I wish... I could sleep until my daddy comes home. It's a song that came out of World War I, a war that changed everything, that signaled a shift in understandings of brutality, government, hope, fear. So again, right down to the song that's playing and the line that they link it up to, what is that supposed to stir for you? And if you look deeper into that, can you find meaning even in those things? Just an update, Ryan just texted me they closed at 8. So he can't get into the store. Oh, yeah. no. Boo. It's 8.30 now. Well, he's going to have to go back. Well, yeah. Tell him that's his job. He's going to go back <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, we might actually be hearing from him. Oh, he's that would be call. nice. He's racing home. The, the positive now. Maybe he can call in. We still do have a lot more to talk about. The end of this scene is Elliot wanting to know what happened to Tyrell, but Mr. Robot comes over and hangs up the phone on him. Elliot tells us that he wants the panic to stop, but it won't. This is the beginning of the panic theme that will reoccur throughout the whole episode. Yeah. You know, Elliot reminds me, this is, okay, this is a little bit of a stretch, but work with me here. Okay. And I'm not going to remember her name, but you're good at me not knowing names and you figuring it out. Okay. (laughs) Orange is the new black. We have, a spoiler alert, by the way, sorry. We have the, the redhead or blonde... I think she's red is she blonde kills someone or is about to get killed by someone and then the crazy chick comes in and saves her life by killing the dude okay no sh- this is <laughs> the girl with the black hair oh it's alex? black hair yeah okay so yes alex is about to well get thank killed. god we're not doing a review on that <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah lolly comes in and lolly and, and she is her. nuts yeah alex is really worried alex and the people that know are really worried because this woman's so unhinged, she's going to tell. Yes. She's freaking out. She can't deal with the pressure. Mm-hmm. In a way, she reminds me of Elliot right now because he's so up and down, left and right, and it's like he wants someone to know. It's almost as if there's this pressure on him, and if he just spews out, I did it, yeah. just tell someone, he'll feel better. Yeah, well, even at some point, Ray tells him, you can't keep this inside forever, right? Like, he can see that pressure building up in him, and he knows that eventually he's got to let it out, whether that's Mr. Robot's controlling me, I can't deal with this anymore, the right. guilt over what he's done. But yeah, both of these situations are individuals that are really struggling with mental health issues. I think it's interesting that it's not very well portrayed 
in television. Even up until recently, we don't see a lot of true looks at mental health issues. Right. And we have two shows now that I think are doing a, a pretty brilliant job of portraying that as it actually is. Right. No sugarcoating, kind of getting into the meat of it. And what does it look like? What does it feel like to go through these intense emotional crises and to not be in control of your own mind? And that's another issue that Elliot struggles a lot with this episode, that feeling of being out of control and wanting to take it back. Hey, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Is Elliot mentally wise? And I remember this in psychology, and I always ask you about it, but uh, I think I can sound smart for a second. Is Elliot the id and Mr. Robot is the ego? Or is it the opposite? It's hard to make it that simple. It's not that, yeah. In this equation, but I, I would probably reverse that because the id is giving... It's your, your base desires, your wants, your, your animal urges, so to speak. The ego is your your higher brain telling you that, <laughs> you know, you have to strike a balance between going after those animal impulses and doing what's socially acceptable and complies with laws and norms. And then you have the superego, which is your very strong moral compass. And so the ego tries to balance out your id, I want, I want, with your superego, you should do this, you should not do that, and finds that every day, okay, I can get some of my needs met and feel okay about it, but not give in to these instincts and not totally deprive myself. Okay, so I did not sound smart there. I always thought, I keep getting this mixed up, you always have to correct me. Ego to me sounds like, you know, ego, the kid's got a lot of ego, like confidence or overconfidence, but it's opposite. Ego is the guy in your brain saying, all right, man, listen, you can go to the edge of the mountain in the Grand Canyon, but like not that close. (laughs) But don't jump off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we think of ego as a bad thing because we use that as a term nowadays people that have too much of it, overinflated egos. But an ego is a very good thing, actually, something that all of us really need to build a sense of self and to feel like we know who we are. So that's actually a good term. Okay. As to what Elliot's actual mental health issue that he's dealing with, we could probably talk for hours about that. In fact, maybe we'll even talk about it another day because I think it would be interesting to dive deep into that. He is certainly dealing with some type of serious trauma that he encountered in his past, which caused him to have dissociative episodes where he is removed from himself as Elliot, the baseline person. He does not remember certain things that happen. He loses chunks of time periods of what's going on with him because the Elliot persona pulls back somewhere into his mind and another personality takes over. So, you know, whether this is actually something we used to refer to as multiple personality Mm -hmm. disorder, I'm not sure. We now call that dissociative identity disorder. Okay. Um, He definitely has some of that going on where he is pulled in an alternate personality to step in when he needs that. But now the baseline is getting frustrated with the alternate and doesn't want him taking over anymore. And, 
you know, on top of that, we have some mood issues. We have some social awkwardness and difficulty in interactions. He was a drug addict. Uh, right. Substance abuse Morphine. problems, depression. We have a lot of things going on with Elliot. Is this a result of PTSD when he was a child? Which we saw the flashback in episode one and two. Yeah, dissociative identity disorder only forms when there's some type of pretty severe trauma that occurs in childhood. Now, remember they were talking about, I don't remember specifically, but the doctor was saying of a surgery or something that they need on the brain. And they said they couldn't afford it. Remember? I wonder if the surgery would have fixed all that. I don't think this is something that they could have repaired. And and this is what leads me to believe that it must at least be partially true that it was his father that pushed him out the window because it does look like we saw one of his first episodes happen in the ER after that. And while falling out of a window would certainly be traumatic to a child, it would not be something that rises to this extent. Unless it was your father pushing you. Right. But if it was your own dad that pushed you out... That's certainly plausible as a beginning. I wonder if, because it looks like his parents had a bad, like a fighting relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is a stretch? Maybe he, Elliot was already weird. And he was already picturing a Mr. Robot, his father, who was actually had time to talk to him or something. You know, Mm -hmm. like maybe he wasn't you know, didn't get enough attention. Mm -hmm. And that Mr. Robot pushed him out. Well, it's definitely possible that it didn't happen exactly as we're being told. Yes. I I think there's more to it, definitely. Um, There could be more. This might not have been even the inciting incident. Maybe something else even more traumatic happened to him earlier on. Um, I think that maybe we would have seen a reference to mental illness in that scene in the hospital if that was happening you know like the mom talking to the doctor listen he also has these episodes uh but i don't know i would like to see more of these flashbacks to elliot's childhood listen my kid's a weird fucko and he talks to walls okay now back to the episode we go next to rome's house where mobley is talking to the mother mrs romero i think And finds out that he is downstairs and goes to find him and only to find that he is dead, lying on the floor. It seems like he was shot. He's got blood that was pulled around his head. There is paint splashes Mm -hmm. all over his body, we noticed, and on the floor. Not quite sure what that's about. And his cell phone is smashed. Yep. We paused it there. I actually saw a face in the blood, and Christina didn't see it. But I saw (laughs) an F Society face in the blood. But um, I was probably just wanted to see it. But if you guys get a chance, find a still of that or find it on, on the online and pause it there and let us know if you see the face too. If anything, it would look like a skull, the way he's describing it. So yeah. If that's what you want to look for. All right. So we got Rome. He's dead. Someone killed him, obviously. If he killed himself, you know, the scene wouldn't have been that way. Right. With the face and the blood and everything. Um, <laughs> who could have killed him? Well, we don't know that yet, but we're going to find out as we move forward in the episode. It seems that somebody is purposefully taking out people associated with this hack. Or that might be a danger to F society, depending on which way you look at it. 
Uh, I mean, it's certainly yeah. Mobley's opinion later that it's Elliot or the Dark Army or the two of them somehow in collusion that are taking out people that are a threat to them. So Gideon and and uh, Rome here. I was speaking to Ryan. I think he seems to believe that it's Elliot or Elliot's doing at least. Maybe Tyrell is doing his bidding. But I don't... Or so Mr. Robot because it wouldn't be Elliot. Right, and Mobley thinks it's the Dark Army at Mr. Robot's bidding. Yeah, he thinks that while Darlene's there. But when Darlene leaves, he speaks about, we can't trust Elliot and we can't trust her, Darlene. Yeah, he doesn't say anything really overtly about, I think you guys are having us killed. But yeah, after he leaves, after she leaves, he talks to Trenton about, we can't trust Elliot or Darlene, and that he thinks it's the Dark Army, and, you know, we could talk about that more when we get to the Mobley scene, but I, I think that there's a certain amount of merit to that, given the fact that just last episode, we saw Gideon threatening Elliot and Mr. Robot <laughs> motioning that he was going to take him out because he's getting too close, Yeah, and then Gideon dies, and now you have Rome, who is probably the one who was least into this from the beginning. He had the least amount of faith in this. He was the person talking about problems with things. Right not, away, yeah. Not very overtly, but it was constant throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see him being somebody that they would get worried about for one reason or another. There's also the fact that, if you remember, Romero kind of was had dealings with drugs. I don't know if he still did, but we know that in the past, that was what he got in trouble for was mm-hmm. drugs. So it could have also been, which I doubt, but it could have also been a drug deal gone wrong or something. Well, and then we find out that he has the three pages of the FBI contact list on his phone, which is... Certainly suspect for is there something more going on with what he knows and why he needed to be taken out. And we'll talk about that more when we get to Di Piero. Well, you know what they say. What do they say, Jason? When in Rome. What? When in Rome. (laughs) I had a lot of trouble with his name even because I... I feel like people said Jerome a couple of times in the beginning, which I never knew that was his full name. Then they call him Rome. But then he's listed as Romero up there. And then his mother... Calls him Leslie. Calls him Leslie. So what the heck is this guy's (laughs) name even? Leslie Romero something. Leslie Jerome Romero. Oh, there you go. (laughs) That would be very weird. Okay, well, now we go over to Ray's home. Starts out with a very weird opener. We see the camera pans around and there's a lot of bottles with pills in it. There's a machine whirring in the background that we find out later is a dialysis machine and a bunch of yellow roses on the table. Ray is speaking aloud about how the flower business, which I guess is his business, seems like he's into a lot of different businesses. (laughs) Um, Anyhow, it's suffering because fresh deliveries aren't coming in and people don't have the money to spare to buy flowers right now. So the only reason he is getting through this difficult time is her. When the camera pans around and we're looking to see who is this her, there is nobody there. Yes. Now, in your theory that we spoke about uh, last 
episode with Elliot being in a mental institution or mm-hmm. something of that nature. Right away at that part, I was like, oh, shit. Okay, there goes that theory because he's... Or or no. Or no, just that he would be a, a patient. Yeah, instead of what we were thinking as a counselor. Right. But then later they flip us back on that and it all seems plausible again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think this whole episode actually went along the lines of our theory and a lot of other people's theory. I found yeah. out they're, they're thinking the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah. We're not alone in this. Um, Ryan seems to think he told me it looks like our theory doesn't work. And why is that? I don't know. He's not here to defend himself, but <laughs> fuck him. No, but uh, I think it does. I don't know if Ray is a counselor anymore, but he might be because when Elliot is speaking to Ray, it looks like he's in Ray's in a desk. Yes. And and we haven't gotten to that scene yet. I'm jumping all over the place. Sorry, but uh, that looked like a counselor's office. Everything still seemed to correlate. When Elliot threw away his notebook, notebook Ray had it. Yeah. So that means that, you know... He definitely appears like he's some, in some position of power. Uh, you know, if this was just something that was going on in Elliot's head, then why? Mm-hmm. Why does he confide in him? Why is he sitting behind this desk? What is the reality of who Ray is? Because... Then we also see that he's got this flower business. Um, we see him engaging in shady dealings later on the tech side of things. He's got his hands in a lot, and I'm not sure how much of it we can take at face value. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to learn about him when we finally get the full picture. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's me, your subconscious father. You will fall. Just telling you to rate and review the Coffee Clash Crew podcast on iTunes. You will fall. Give us a four-star rating. Give us a comment. You will fall. Hook us up. You need to do this. Your life depends on it. You will fall. Everything is dangling from a window. If you don't rate us, you will fall. You will fall. You will fall. Well, for now, we move over to the basketball court scene where... Leon slips Elliot some drugs and says to take it easy with the dosage. And I'm sure we're all thinking, shit, not again. And he must know we're thinking that because Mr. Robot thinks it's morphine and Elliot is very quick to tell us it's not, that it's Adderall. Oh, it looks like Ryan's here. Ryan has entered the building. Hello, hello. What's up, Ryan? How's it going? Thanks for joining Hello, us. Hello, welcome. Oh, I'm here now, finally. I was sad. I thought I was going to miss out this week. No, you're joining right at the good part where things just start to get fun with this Mr. Robot episode. We were just talking about how we see Elliot and Leon at the basketball court, and we find out he has given him Adderall, and he wants to use it to get rid of Mr. Robot, at which point he takes a lot of A lot. Pills. Like, uh, I was worried. About him, that he was going to be taking two. I thought maybe he was trying to commit suicide at first with how much he was taking. I don't know how much you have to take in order to overdose from Adderall. Yeah, well, that was a big theory out there that he was, in fact, trying to overdose, which I don't buy into. It doesn't seem like he at any point has actually wanted to commit suicide. He just wants to get rid of Mr. Robot. Yeah, it wasn't an overdose. You wouldn't choose Adderall to overdose on. No, I mean, you could probably have a fatal overdose at that level, uh, but I don't think that was the point. I think clearly the point is that 
Mr. Robot has been coming out primarily when he's asleep. And right. so if he can take a medicine that'll make him stay awake and stay focused, uh, we can keep Mr. Robot at bay, although that wasn't very well thought out because <laughs> you can only go so many days without sleep. Yes. I don't know. Like, uh, I used to work uh, overnights at uh, Toys R Us or when I was younger, and uh, you would work, like, all day, and then you would want the overtime because after eight hours, you get time and a half, and after 16 hours, you get double time. Oh, geez. So uh, you would just try to do those marathon days when it was... Uh, Christmas time because those are the craziest times mm. and around being awake for 24 hours you just start to go crazy is what it feels <laughs> like you start laughing at everything it's really really uh, weird experience you know when you say that I think about the outtakes speaking of which we saw we watched outtakes of Mr. Robot season one mm. which were hilarious and you could see they are a little loony oh yeah, yeah. and that that's definitely towards the end of the day they're all fucking crazed out they've been you know hurry up and waiting hurry up and waiting for yep. probably like 15 16 hours yep. yeah so yeah they're all loopy too that's why they say <laughs> actors are weird <laughs> and we'll definitely get to that soon but they do a really good job of depicting it with elliot what he goes through uh at this point he talks to us and he says that when a computer gets hit with a kernel panic it's hard to recover from it's an internal fatal error he's starting to open up a little bit again to us uh you know after last episode telling us he doesn't trust us and not really confiding in us he's having a lot of issues this episode that he feels comfortable telling us he wonders even if Gideon ratted him out yeah at this point uh but we don't get very far with that because a black SUV pulls up and a bunch of guys get out put a hood over his head and force him into the car yeah that was crazy that this whole scene <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I was like... <laughs> well, this is when we spoke earlier, Ryan, and we already kind of discussed this, but not this particular scene. Along with the theory that he's in a mental home, I think this coincides perfectly because the cement that they shoved down his throat, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're in an institution and they know that you're trying, you've o potentially overdosed, they're going to give you this liquid that pumps your stomach and makes oh. you throw up. Mm -hmm. And it's oh, a gray... Huh. It kind of looks like cement. Yep. And they shove it down with a funnel, just like that. Well, with it's a tube. <laughs> with a tube, yeah. yeah. And it's just as violent because that's the way you are. You're shoving anything down your throat. It's going right. to get that violent-y feeling to it. Um, so I was like, okay, so that head bad guy, well, quote-unquote bad guy with the hat, is the head doctor. Yeah. We, we got to slow down because we're racing ahead. Oh, sure. Uh, first... The, he takes him to an abandoned garage. Yes. So the very first thing is that we notice there is nobody else around. It's mm -hmm. underground somewhere. Um, and they tie Elliot up to a chair. So this very much looks like you said, a padded room or isolation yes. where you could be taken um, in some kind of psychiatric hospital, maybe to the medical part of things where they need to pump his stomach because they found out what he's done. Uh, then we see that they're mixing the cement in a red wheelbarrow, which is something that's come up a couple of times now. Yeah, you told me this. I was like, holy shit. In the first episode, we saw a woman burning a book that we talked about last time in the red wheelbarrow, waiting for Mr. Godot. And we looked into what that could mean. And we also saw that on 
one of the screenshots of Elliot's marble notebook. notebook, it says Red Wheelbarrow. Yes. Instead of name, it says, you know, you would put like Jason Pistorino. Mm -hmm. It says Red Wheelbarrow or Red... I took a screenshot. Something like Red Wagon or Red Wheelbarrow. I think it's Red Wheelbarrow. And also, and I forgot to mention this in the uh, episode one slash two Easter egg, uh, Confictora, Confictorian Industries or Confictora Industries. Mm -hmm. That is the logo on that notepad as well. Wow. So that website that you get, you go to by scanning his QR code that he drew in the notebook is also the name of the notebook. So these Easter eggs that keep coming up like that, that don't seem to have a purpose, we discussed how we might not have actually seen the worst of Elliot's traumas yet from his childhood and that there might be something even further back where the split occurred and perhaps some of the things that don't make sense now could tie back in to that, to that moment and what was around him. And, you know, this is the way that traumas work and the way that things are weirdly encoded in your brain and then you see them afterwards in strange places. Uh, So I think that's something to keep in mind. And then going back to what you were saying, you have the man in the glasses. Right. So the the significance of the red wagon or red wheelbarrow, um, we've seen it twice. Mm -hmm. Everyone keep an eye out. If you see it again, anything that's similar to that, let us know. Contact at coffeeclassrew.com so we can uh, establish some kind of connection and keep keep track of it. Mm-hmm. So back to this dude with the hat. So he's obviously in charge of these these guys. A medical doctor of some sort. We think he's probably. the doctor. And then the nurses are the guys that grabbed him and mm-hmm. put a, a thing over his head and kind of held him. The well, thing over yeah, his head those, was those probably... would have been like the... Uh, <clears throat> You know, the mental health workers or, or you know, or somebody yeah. that could, could physically restrain him. Code red in the hospital you used to work at, right? Code white. Code white. Well, code white was a behavioral. Every hospital has these codes, though. Um, you know, even psychiatric ones, when something happens, blue is a medical, red is a fire, white is a behavioral. Okay. Uh, so each one, it, it could be a little bit different, but... Um, yeah. Is code brown? Someone pooped himself. <laughs> no, we, we got had, a code brown. We had no brown. brown no. Christina shit herself again. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna power through the podcast though. Yes. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Don't worry. There's no visuals, just audio. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is interesting next because we start to hear these upbeat bells and chimes that turn into a music, and it feels weirdly. Like, it doesn't fit into what we're seeing in the scene. And it pans over to Elliot's now in his room, or wherever it is that he is going through this. And he puts his fingers down his throat and is able to throw up now to the encouragement of Mr. Robot, who obviously wants this out of his system. Mm -hmm. And he now says, I burrowed underneath your brain. I nested there. I am the scream in your mind. You will cooperate, my son, because I own you. Oof. So this, again, made my brain say, okay, maybe it, it isn't the nurses making him throw up. Like, this is where I'm so confused because it looks like he made himself throw up. Right. Well, I think that's, again, just the way that he is internalizing it. Yeah. You know, people did horrible things to him and he needs to save himself type of thing. I mean, he right. can't, if he's not internalizing the, the real... 
reality of where he is and what's going on right now, we talked about, he would put other projections onto that. Right. But certainly Mr. Robot wants to encourage him to get it out yeah. because... <laughs> and he was wearing the hat. Yeah, but then he he t- he takes the rest of the Adderall back again. Like if this was the... He regained control. Right. So that's what you're saying, that the he just regained control just like that after he'd been through this or he's seeing through... Cause yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't be- think he actually ate the pills again in real life, you know? Yeah. Oh, you don't think so? Out think it was vomit? psychosomatic? Yeah. No, I, I think that he, that was his, you know, this has all kind of been his battle within his mind to show him, you don't own me. You know, I'm going right. to get rid of you again. Um, this is it. Uh, maybe he did take a few new ones. I don't okay. think that he actually ate them out of his own vomit. I don't know. I don't. I think the the main point is though that he's continuing to show down against him. Sound effects were gruesome. It's like, well, it was, <laughs> oh Jesus. So okay, so you're thinking that it was the nurses that made him throw up, and mm-hmm. then it gets thrown back into his room. So, yeah. But they would he would have thrown up already. Like, exactly. Outside, so, so she's saying that he in his head. Had to throw up there, made himself throw up and pretend and in his head took it out of there, but maybe just took more. Yeah, this is he could have just taken more, um, or he could have just been eating more, whatever else was in his throw up at that point, or whatever. He or projected. there might still have been some that he already had in his system, mm-hmm. you know, that like he couldn't throw up, so he's still right. experiencing some of the effects of it because even if you throw it up, some of that's already gotten into your body, right? Um, how long do you think this? Do you think this is going to, if this is this, do you think the reveal, it's all season? It's going to be in the mental institution? Do you think it'll be before the end of the season that they'll before reveal? Yeah. Because yeah. that would be get boring. I said last right. episode I thought it was going to be very soon that we okay. would find, out, find this out. But the battle is turning out to be bigger and longer than I expected. Because even the scenes, as epic as they are... They keep coming down to the same point, and I don't know how right. many times That's they can I hit those notes. That's what I was feeling about yeah. the episode, that we weren't advancing the storyline quickly yes. enough. Like, uh, like, okay, we get it. Like, they're fighting each other, you mm-hmm. know? Let's, let's, get, let's move ahead. But, uh, yeah, I but I don't think it's he's – gonna, he's not going to allow it to get boring. There's going to be something where that curtain is revealed to us because either Elliot – or Mr. Robot, I mean, is uh, wins for a little bit and forces Elliot out. Or we know that um, his sister is coming to get him now. She's going to finally talk to him. Well, she's going to call him. Yeah, I don't know how involved she's going to be, but that's a whole other ball of wax that I want to talk about in a few minutes when we get to her. Going back to the episode here, we go over to the office where we see Mr. Price and Angie. This is the beginnings of some interesting stuff happening. He is directing her on the interview that we saw her working on last episode, telling her that he wants final approval of all of the questions. He wants it to be on Fox. She recommends Bloomberg. She's just worked her ass off to get Mm -hmm. Bloomberg, but also she says their investors get their news there, so this will reassure them. At this point, Price offers to make reservations for the two of them at an upscale restaurant, and when she agrees, he gives in that she is right about Bloomberg. Yeah. I think the key thing here is on the way out, he notices that she's always looking at this painting he has on the wall or this piece of oh, art news- before she leaves. Article. Newspaper article from uh, Austria, Hungary. 
Uh, well, Austria, I guess. Uh, it's when uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. And what's relevant or important about that is that's what started the World War One. I'm looking at an article on theweek.co.uk about how World War One started, and it says that uh, the immediate cause of World War One was the assassination of Franz Ferdinand, his death at the hands of Gavrilo Princip, the Serbian nationalist with ties to a secret military group known as the Black Hand, propelled the major European military powers towards war. I think that's an awesome name for a secret the black hand group. and like slaps people yeah the black hand so do you think this could be like an inner workings of like the beginning of a war that's where sam Ashmail is trying to like make that correlation well it certainly makes sense with what price says he asks her do you find it as fascinating as i do how a man can change the whole world with a bullet in the right place Boom. So I don't know, you know, necessarily about a war, but certainly an assassination, taking out the right person at the right time and setting the pieces into position the way that you want to. Mm -hmm. But Darlene already said in the first episode that we are at war, right? When she's standing over them in her speech. Oh, yes. Well, she certainly feels like the regular people i suppose are at war with the one percent yes but we see from price's view even as things get dire they still don't feel like it's out of their control yet and they're still moving things in a, a way that will benefit them and i think he has plans for angie to become part of that part of the sinister yes forces. and we'll get into those plans in a later scene yes now we go to di piero's house She's reading about Gideon's death online and talking to her AI. Was the name Alex? Alexa? Alexa. Alexa. That's, that's a real thing. Like, oh, yeah, it is. The, it's uh, current. Amazon one, right? Yep. Alexa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we get that she's an insomniac. She clearly, a lot of her personal interactions take place with technology, which is an interesting note. And she also has some sort of paranoia about keeping her personal things in the yeah. safe. She's very similar to Elliot in ways. The paranoia about technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so solitary, solitary, lonely life. Mm-hmm. Doesn't appear to sleep. Uh, social anxiety. And her only friend is, is like her Amazon Echo. She depends on it. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to get into a lot more in the next scene later that we see with her about her daily life. But at this point, they just move right to the crime scene mm-hmm. at Rome's house. If they find out that she's really into this Alexa, although every time she says Alexa, I'm like, this is a commercial for Amazon and uh, <laughs> Alexa. <laughs> but uh, if uh, F Society could then reprogram it to, for stuff that they want, you know, like for to throw her off of things, if she's using it that much, it would be ver- like have to be really spot-on responses to things like that. We've certainly seen them take this on, though, the way they hacked into the smart home Mm -hmm. with Jacobs in the last episode. You could definitely just have the uh, mascot instead of answering, instead of Alexa, and then she would know that she's being compromised at one point. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. So she gets to the crime scene. She talks about knowing that 
Rome was busted in 08, but it was as a small-time computer hacker. And essentially, I think the point here is just to see that she's smarter than the techs are. Oh, my goodness, That are on the yeah. scene. And she knows a lot more about technology and what's happening here. The bottom line is they give her the three pages that they found on him of the FBI contact list, and her name is on there. She dismisses that with them, but she does seem kind of bothered by that. Oh, of is course. it just me? No, she's bothered yeah. by it. She seems a woman of detail. And, I mean, speaking of, the, not speaking of, the way I know she's a woman of detail, as soon as she shows up, she's seeing everything that these guys are doing wrong. Mm-hmm. We got this right. dude sneezing all over the crime scene. <laughs> yeah. Right. We got this guy, like, she's, as soon as she says, did you check to see if the USB ports are um, made, you know, not stock? And then, yeah. fire. And the look on her face. Yeah, and that's the thermite uh, trap yeah. that we yeah. were talking about before. I like how she before. recovered from that. She was just like, well, <laughs> you guys are idiots. Let's, yeah. That's done. Let's move on. She was almost <laughs> expecting it. She didn't yeah. even try to warn them about other things. It mm-hmm. was kind of like, I got what I need. I'm, I'm out of here. If I don't have sleep, I snap at things like that. Well, now <laughs> we see why the scene in the last episode, we thought she appeared very manic when she went into that convenience store. Oh, yeah. And she was a lot of coffee. Strangely and talking a lot very quickly. Yeah, a lot of coffee and the insomnia, the fact that she's mm-hmm. not getting sleep. Maybe she will have a Tyler Durden also because that's how Ed Norton started. Oh, yeah, maybe. But what, what's the deal with this list? What do you think this list means? Well, she writes it off by saying there was a leak recently and that some of the contact pages of the people in the FBI got out. Uh, she seems concerned about the fact, though, that it's only a certain amount of pages and that it appears as though they were looking for certain people, and she is one of them. Okay. So I'm not sure why they would be trying to find out about her, but... But do you think that this is Romero either finding someone to tell, which would correlate with him getting shot, or he's doing some background to find out who they should worry about? hmm So he's still on... F societies, you know, like what's going well, on if, here? Well, if he was alive and with us, I would say that could be the case. But given the fact, and we will be talking about this in the next scene, how it appears that people are being taken out, that could be a threat to F society. I would say thinking that he was planning on exposing this would be a very good reason Yeah. Uh, to take him out and to smash his cell phone. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder why they wouldn't have destroyed the rest of his stuff at that point, the mm-hmm. computer and whatnot. So is this not F Society because it's sloppy? Is this something Ray has something to do with? I, I don't know at this point. Me neither. Yeah. Well, if it goes with my theory and it's uh, Tyrell, I mean, he was a little sloppy with leaving his last, the last person he killed. Absolutely. So, I mean, it was based on raw emotion. I mean, it could have been just based on raw emotion again. They, he, he, he couldn't have planned it that way, or may, and maybe they got into some kind of argument because he worked for Evil Corp. Mm-hmm. And then it just escalated to that. Uh, we don't know if there was like any type of signs of a struggle. We just know he was shot. And I mean, at that point, if it was an accident, whoever it was would want to get out of there as quickly as possible. Yes, definitely. Well, we go back to DiPiero later. She goes back to her home, and we see her masturbating to online conversation. So I think this even reinforces the fact that she doesn't have actual intimacy 
with other people that technology is the way she's kind of getting all of her needs met. Yeah. I did notice in that scene that she's on her phone as well, right? She's masturbating. Well, I think she goes to get the phone after that because right. she or she, was or on she has two phones laptop. maybe. Yeah. Because the one phone she definitely puts in the safe as soon as she gets home and she it's normally doesn't phone. take it out until she leaves. But she does go to get it specifically to look at the contacts pages again and that's that's obviously bothering her. Yeah, I think I'm thinking about a different scene. There wasn't a lot of build up for her to start getting off too if you read the it was like are you ready okay I'm <laughs> yeah i'm good and then, yeah. <laughs> i don't think she gets well, off either and risky for usa right they keep traveling into this territory that i'm like i can't believe this is USA. that's why it starts after 10 right. still though. and you just reminded me but and with I, joanna being naked i mean pretty much naked i don't know if that's joe joe joanna yeah i almost feel like somehow this was a little more risky though than seeing joanna tied up in bondage yeah it just crossed a different line i i felt well Well, they showed tyrell get fucking a guy in the first season yeah absolutely they showed the thrusting so this is yeah this reminded me of this especially this episode i talked about this in season one of our podcast they cuss and they just bleep it out Normally, USA Show, CBS, all those things, they, they, don't do, they just don't even cuss. There. And yeah. that's why I was thinking that this was meant for a different, like HBO or mm. Showtime, and then USA picked it up. I don't know if that's the case anymore, anymore, but I think it's just yeah. Sam Esmail is like, this is the way it's going to be. I always wanted to make a movie, which he has been quoted saying. Yeah. And I'm going to make it a long movie, and I want swears, and we'll or just play, blank it out. And that's initially. why it starts at 10. Mm-hmm. But you, we, um, we talked about this uh, last last season also during the podcast about how USA was looking to go in another direction and uh, you know they went to a bunch of di- he went to a bunch of different places with the show idea and none of them took it so I mean if they're taking a risk and they got such a big response out of the show they're I think they've got a lot of uh, rope to to work with you know oh, they're certainly. not on a short leash. Well, next we go over to I guess what's Trenton's house. Uh, Darlene and Mobley go there to talk to her. We haven't seen her in a while. I was kind of wondering, we, we don't have as much of tabs on the people that started in the initial F Society group. But here they're talking about the police report on Rome and how there's no sign of robbery at this point. This is where Mobley starts talking about how, you know, first there was an all-safe guy that got murdered, meaning Gideon, and now Rome, and... You know, wondering if Darlene has forgotten about what they started and wondering about the risks. He thinks that it could be Dark Army that's behind this. And perhaps Elliot leaked something to them. And basically, he wants to leave. He wants to go to Arizona and get out. Yeah. She's trying to talk him into calming down. She tells him she's going to go talk to Elliot, but they need to stop panicking. He's making me nervous, man. If anyone's going to fuck it up now, it's that nervous guy, you know? Right. Well, this is what happens when you have a bunch of people in something this big. Someone cracks the more people you have, the more likely it is that something's going to get out. Yep, you're right. And especially after Darlene leaves, he starts talking to Trenton about it and saying that he doesn't trust her or Elliot. And all of them just committed the crime of the century, essentially. And uh, she's the only one, Darlene, that talks to the Dark Army. So how would they really know what's being communicated to them? And he thinks they're trying to cover their tracks now. And that would make them next. Yeah. yeah. 
And especially this guy that's kind of becoming a loose cannon. But this seems like this is going to be our through line for this season, is how do they respond after they've done the world's biggest crime? Mm-hmm. How do they deal with it? And can they get control back? And what's going on with the other pieces? Because, you know, like I said, initially we hadn't seen any of the core group of F Society who are coming back to. We still haven't checked in with the Dark Army and where they're at. They were an essential part of making this happen last season. And we still haven't seen White Rose. I don't think we're going to this season. Or maybe till the end. I mean, he was in the last scene of the last season and it seemed very important what was going on oh that's right yeah i forgot about that price remember yes i forgot about that but i feel like that's hanging i feel like that's where they they brought you into it in the beginning like an all-seeing hand like pushing you towards something and he's talking about like the one percenters but he's making it just evil corp but there's like beyond evil corp there's an even oh yeah bigger thing going on uh you know that are controlling things and that's what they're going to lead to and that white rose is in that they're i think they're going to have to co- go against him at some point with yeah. that so it, it seems like he he's going to stay in the shadows for much longer well yeah now we've got this new chip in the mix as well we go over next to ray and he's at this tech's house and he's intimidating this guy in front of his family telling him that the people he deals with can be ruthless. You know, it's not him, of course, that's ordered this guy to beat him up, although we know later that's not true. And basically the guy just needs to get the site back up. And this poor guy is saying he can't do it. They keep emptying Bitcoin, the wallet, the server keeps crashing. Uh, it needs to be moved to a secure location, but he can't figure out how to do the migration and... Uh, basically, they need to find somebody who can. Yeah, and this is where our theory about Ray being a counselor or something kind of falls apart because yeah. you see that this this man's family, the man that's being threatened, is there. His yeah. kid and his wife. And they just uh, watched him get his ass kicked, which means that just... this guy, Ray, is really, like, this is a tough dude. This guy has... Right. He's but maybe just his day job is he's just one of the security guys. Maybe he's one of the guys that would drag Elliot into, you know, like he's just security for them or just a regular nurse, not a nurse, but what do they call the, like, the guys that watch over them when it gets rough? They the muscle. Usually- yeah, like the, the mental health counselors. But I don't, I don't see anything that says he couldn't be a therapist because if we see what they presented to us with Elliot in the first season as his day job, he was working at all safe. He was supposed to be the people that ensured that the security was there. And then at night he's this vigilante hacker. So what makes this guy any different? I suppose so. And he is getting into the psychology of this guy that they just beat up. So he's pretty good with be his strength there. The way Elliot's strength is hacking. Okay. Maybe. So do we like him? Is he a bad guy? Is he a good guy? What's... I do not like him at this point no? just because you can't trust him. Every well, time he's I... trying to force uh, Elliot into, you know, going back on the computer about, you know, doing stuff for him, you yeah. know, getting the site back up and Elliot doesn't want to. So it's definitely hazardous to Elliot. I got to tell you, I will be the untrustworthy narrator as far as Ray is concerned because... I'm a Craig Robinson fan, <laughs> and we've talked about he does comedies. And I just every time he's on the scene, I'm like, holy shit, he's killing it! 
yeah. <laughs> as a serious he's actor. Really he's good. killing it. He's killing it. So I'm like emotionally into it. Mm. So I'm going to fuck up when it comes to his storyline, most likely. We finally go back to Elliot, who is telling us now that he's up to 200 milligrams of Adderall. So it looks like he is still taking it. He's got a stash somewhere. He's getting more from Leon or something, but he hasn't slept in three days. Uh, Mr. Robot is gone. And now he goes on this joyous speech to us about how he's more aware, more focused, feeling great. He can even handle talking to people. He's like skipping around the screen. (laughs) He's expressing affect. He even thinks he's found God. You're really like, what is happening here? But you can see, even in those moments, him becoming manic and things kind of building too quickly. You know that's going to get out of control. And he finally says, you're not buying this, are you? That was key. I love yeah. that. that uh, we know he's headed for a crash. He says it was good for a few days, but now he's on the fifth day without sleep and the fear is building again. So quickly he starts freaking out. This is where we get all this really cool visual stuff happening. There's static in the background. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Everyone's like shaking and shivering. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leon is talking backwards. He yeah. sees kids in F society masks. I mean, this is really kind of scary. I he, loved it. He finally tells us, this is my internal fatal error from which my system cannot safely recover. Colonel panic, not sinking. And that's when you see the code. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then he's back at the desk. The journal words are all jumbled and his consciousness starts to go. Um, Question about this. So Mr. Robot keeps trying to assume total control, it seems, and get Elliot to sort of go with the program or threatening that he'll get rid of him. Is it Elliot that has the ability to hack? Does or he have the Mr. skill? Robot? Does Mr. Robot need Elliot because Elliot has the skill? Mr. Robot they, has the balls and the ability to do what needs to be done, but Elliot's the actual talent. I say no because um, when we see the flashback in episode one and two, um, <laughs> the first episode, mm-hmm. uh, we see him finally with Tyrell. He does the code that sets everything forward. And he is obviously Mr. Robot at that time. Well, we questioned that. How do we know who that was in that moment? Because I mean, Elliot wouldn't grab the gun. Well, he didn't. But he doesn't remember. Yeah, he doesn't remember. Oh, any and he of doesn't that. remember any of it, yeah. too. Well, yeah. yes, that is the key point. So you have to believe that. I think um, they both know it. I think, I mean, Mr. Robot is a mani- manifestation of Elliot's mind. Right. It's still Elliot. Yes. He should know this. They know the same things, although that's not true. Mr. Though. Robot. Well, Mr. Robot can keep things from Elliot. Yes. But I don't know if it's the other way. I don't think Elliot can keep things from Mr. Robot. And not maybe that he in can, this state. Not but. that he can keep things from him, but because Mr. Robot is a manifestation that Elliot has created to deal with certain things, um, he will come out when needed and present the traits that are needed. That does not necessarily mean that he shares the same knowledge and abilities. When you see people that suffer from having these multiple personalities, some of them speak in different languages, they have different personality traits, different skill sets, Um, they really become like individuals of their own. So there are some things that they do share 
Um, but essentially it's the baseline personality who has everything. Right. I think that he would know, though, because Mr. Robot in the end is a was a real person to Elliot. And he worked in a computer store. He worked in a computer repair store. He should know. He probably knows some of these things. I think if it was Elliot's mind creating someone, he would know and maybe be even better than Elliot. It could be. These things. It could be. um, Also, Elliot made this. This is a personification of a stronger character in himself, right? Mm -hmm. Stronger in certain ways. Right. Though. But in order... So Elliot needs him to do tasks that he won't do. Mm -hmm. So I think he would incorporate this created person to have the skills needed as well. Well, that's that's possible. It depends on what you're saying that he needs him for. If it is just to kind of bully people and do things that need to be done in that way, then I, I, it just feels like Mr. Robot keeps coming back to him to try to bring him into the fray as though he does actually need oh, Elliot. Oh, I see what you're saying. He needs Elliot to come on. We got to get back into this. We got to do what we started. This is important. Like, it's almost like he can't do it without him. I see where you're getting at. I was fighting tooth and nail with what you were saying, but I kind of see what you mean now. Why does he need Elliot Why so doesn't bad? he just take over then, like he keeps threatening to do? Maybe Elliot is too strong to let him take over completely. I mean, well, Elliot's I hope, fighting him. Yeah, I hope that's true. I hope that's true. Because we want to see Elliot win, right? Well, we have seen him try to take complete control, shooting him in the head. And he can't. He can't. Right. No, definitely he can't. That's not possible. Because Elliot is the baseline. Can't get rid of him. I mean, I don't even know what kind of disease or mental illness this it would be classified as. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it um, like a multiple personality? That's definitely part of it. Yeah, we, we talked about that earlier. They, they call it dissociative identity disorder now, DID. Do they fight for full control in that? Sometimes. Or, yeah, sometimes like, they do. Does... Do you have it where they recover from? Yeah, that we it? we talked about that a little bit, but essentially to have this come back to a level sort of situation, you would need to reintegrate the personalities back into one, uh, which would mean he, Elliot, would need to be able to accept what Mr. Robot is, except that that's a part of himself and that he can take that back in. And he's not willing to do that at this time because Mr. Robot has done things that he's not okay with. Right. He can't own that he's actually the one that has committed those acts. And until he's ready to do so, I think they'll continue to be at war uh, because he can't get rid of him either. That's, that's a part of him that has done these things. Um, so we'll talk about, too, there, there's some other things in the next scene. But first, we take a break because we go over to see Angie again. And this is also very interesting. She is doing her affirmations once more. Christina, you're likable, attractive, and you're a cool chick. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> Don't mess that one up. Yeah, she, uh, she does this before walking into the dinner situation, and she seems to be feeling confident until she gets to the table and sees there are two other men there. And she doesn't seem to understand. Do you think she was interpreting this to be a romantic dinner invitation? It seemed it. For sure. For sure. I feel like that. The music led you to believe that, and it cut when she found out that there were 
two other people there. It's like a record skip. So she clearly wasn't interested in Price, though, right? This was the game she was playing, and it helped for it to be a romantic setup proposition. I don't know. I I mean, well, the way the boss same feeling in the in the last season from her that once he started talking about how people really are and like this inside this other world that she was very attracted to his confidence, I guess, or... Yeah, there's a weird push and pull happening in the way she feels about him, that there are certain things about him I think she's attracted to because she wishes she had some of those qualities, but I don't think she has any romantic feelings for him. I don't know. I wish Jamal was here. Remember what he said to us the other day uh, when we were talking about it? He was talking about when Colby, when they were in the office room in the first season, when they were looking at the first tech, she was in charge of talking about that. And he cut her off and he made her feel small. And Elliot had to rescue her. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want him to rescue him. She didn't. She she would rather fail than be rescued by him. And Jamal's saying that she needed to be validated in that way for being a a strong individual on her own. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what she, she gets from him because she got it from him in the office when she questioned his decision to go with Fox instead of Bloomberg. And he's like, you're right, let's do that. So at the same time though, that, that, affirmation didn't come until after he invited her to dinner and you could see her pause as though she knew this was a game they were playing Mm -hmm. and and once she finally agreed to the dinner that's when he said you know what you're right we should go with Bloomberg and I, I think she might know that this is a chip that she can play with him yes I think that in a sense, Ryan, what you're saying is true, and she does want to be this strong, capable woman. I think that she knew in the moment with Elliot that while she was looking for that from him, she wasn't yet that person, and this is part of her goal in working mm-hmm. within this company. You know, she has aims about taking it down from the inside or whatever she wants to do, but. She also wants to become somebody different. I think that's what these affirmations are about. But she handles it pretty well. Price introduces the two men as Saul, the managing director, and Jim, the SVP of BA. They talk the dinner and later as the other two leave, Mr. Price starts to explain about these men. He says they're both good men, company men, they do charity work. But they were also both in the room with Colby when they decided to cover up the leak in her hometown. They were ordinary men capable of extraordinary things, and they are guilty of white-collar crimes, including insider trading. He even calls them Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And he does it in such a way that's so casual. Like, he just throws it out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way. And you could see her trying to process these things oh, and yeah. struggling with it. But and they don't mean it anything to he dismisses them before that you know like he's like we're gonna have another drink get the fuck out of here oh yeah yeah but that was part of his play right yeah and he just one right one thing right after the next then he gives her the cd which he says is enough evidence to put these two men away for years and this is when she finally says she doesn't trust whatever it is he's doing she knows he's up to something and he's 
moving 10 steps ahead of her and she can't quite catch up. She thought she was on the level with, she was going to go there with her sexual prowess and kind of yeah. be the one in control. And he's completely flipped it on her once again. And he says he understands her panic because it would destroy these men's lives. But if she can remove her emotions, she'll do just fine. What's his play here? I feel like he's trying to groom her to become half a sociopath, like his personal protege. Well, Colby said, you know, that he saw something. He recommended, we'll go back to that. He recommended her. And the before, I really think that the Bloomberg thing was a test. And that's why he had no reaction to it first. He's like, let's see how she reacts to me telling her what's something that she worked so hard on. And he obviously knows things that are going on that she doesn't expect because she he knows that about the the mother he knows about her mother mm-hmm. so he might know that how hard she worked on getting about the play she made with Bloomberg you know in yeah. order to get that and what she'd done and she accepted right away and then told him no like this is the right move yep so I blanked out on my yeah, well, the bottom line is like, well, yeah, he's testing her, he's grooming her, he's shaping her, but for what? I don't, I don't know. This is, I told, I said this last episode, I can't get a grasp on her storyline. He, he clearly sees that she's come a long way, but the weakness is still in her, that the emotions come out and take over when it comes to important decisions like this. You know, would she be able to take these men down for what they've done? when she sees that they're not these big, horrible monsters, which she did grapple with at the end of last season as well. You know, these are just regular people. They're not larger than life. But this would be an important decision for her to make. If she could be this cold to mold her, then she could potentially be a good you know, CEO or someone that is really going to be able to make tough decisions. This well, doesn't then, make sense then to Then she works, but for, for what? Like, he obviously has, if she passes these tests and can become this person, he has a bigger goal in mind. And I think the bigger goal is for her to help take Elliot and F Society out, and she will really oh. need to remove emotions if she has to do this with Elliot. Okay, you just... I, I was just saying this doesn't make sense. You just answer my question, because I was going to say, this dude has been in the head of evil court for a while he's got people obviously that he wants to groom this new woman there's no way he's gonna put with all that's going on he's gonna be like this is my next protege there is a bigger meaning to what he's doing and you kind of just that might be it well she has the inside information on elliot and he also does he know that well he knows they were at all safe together and i'm sure he's looked into this and figures that she could help but if they have some sort of no one knows that elliot is the key to key master ghostbusters to Are you the key master? F Society. Well, he's been or in else. dealings with with um, White Rose. Oh, okay. oh that's right. So, so I think how much that, does he know? I think that he knows right. quite well that it is him. Wow. I was thinking before this that he could just be a, a like board and it would be an interesting game to turn someone that wants to destroy his company onto his side and then... Fuck them over. Well, like, I don't doubt that that plays a small but part I like in it, this though, because I think he's a no. sociopath. But this dude being bored in any case, I would say that. But right now, what he's dealing with, this is he's mega. not bored right now. Yeah, there's so much shit going on. Right. 
but I think these all these pieces he has in play are why he still feels very confident that his business, his livelihood is not at risk because he'll always he's like the little finger yeah. of the situation. Yeah. He'll find a way to move them around and make it work for him. And I, I do have to put in with everything going on, Sam makes sure to, to remind us that the world is operating differently. These are rich people that have been going to this restaurant often. And the waitress comes over before she gets any order. She whispers in his ear that they need cash up front. Yes. So it's again, it's a reminder. Things aren't as normal, guys. We also Remember. see with regular people, they're getting only a $50 per day allowance that they're allowed to take out from the bank. From the bank. That's right. But- we also miss in the opening of that scene when they're walking into that place that there's like some kind of riot, like protests or riot going on outside the windows. Everybody has signs and there's all yelling and they're mm. the only ones in that restaurant. We haven't seen how the society is being affected by everything yes. so far. I really feel like I haven't seen that much of it yes, other than snippets. the long line. And that really showed me a lot of what's going on outside in society and I wish they kind of sprinkled in a, a more of that. I agree. Just so I know how big it, it was getting. I agree. That, I think that's something we'll go back to. But it's hard. We're already getting two two weeks in a row of an hour and a half to two hour show. And it felt too much. As much as I love this show we need and time. I loved everything that was happening in this episode, like I said earlier, I still think that it is too much and running the episode longer is part of that. When there's so much that happens, your brain can't really absorb it all and you get to a certain point where you're like, all right, I'm overwhelmed, it's enough, let's end the show. Like, I just can't take in any more and it diminishes it somehow because everything that happens past that point yes. is just another little bit too much on the pile and I think that they were already flirting with that at their original time frame yes and this is now going too long that's just my personal just a few more scenes left to one of the critical moments where Elliot is at the group meeting he says the Adderall is almost out of his system and he's crashing fast in fact we can see him borderline falling asleep at the start of the meeting he says his dam of guilt is breaking and he thinks that Gideon's death was unavoidable. Now, this is really the key thing here. I, I think that what we're seeing is Elliot falling asleep, his consciousness going, and thus we are transitioning over into Mr. Robot. We are going to get a glimpse, even though we're seeing Elliot, of what it's like when Mr. Robot comes out to play. Yeah. <laughs> and one of those things he says is about Gideon. And it almost openly, nakedly tells you that he had something to do with Gideon's death. He then goes on to this rant about God. So what God does, he helps. Tell me, why didn't God help my innocent friend who died for no reason while the guilty roam free? Okay, fine. Forget the one-offs about the countless wars declared in his name. Okay, fine. Let's skip the random meaningless murder for a second, shall we? How about the racist, sexist, phobia soup we've all been drowning in because of him? And I'm not just talking about Jesus. 
I'm talking about all organized religion. Exclusive groups created to manage control. The dealer is getting people hooked on the drug of hope. His followers, nothing but addicts who want their hit of bullshit to keep their, their dopamine of ignorance. Addicts afraid to believe the truth, that there's no order, there's no power, that all religions are just metastasizing mind worms meant to divide us so it's easier to rule us by the charlatans that want to run us. All we are to them are our paying fanboys of their poorly written sci-fi franchise. <laughs> if I don't listen to my imaginary friend, why the fuck should I listen to yours? People think their worship some key to happiness. That's just how he owns you. Even I'm not crazy enough to believe that distortion of reality. So fuck God. He's not a good enough scapegoat for me. Please tell me I didn't say all of that out loud. I, I don't have the whole thing, but he says, Does God help? Why didn't he help my innocent friend who died for no reason while the guilty run free? Which I wonder who he's talking about there. We're drowning in a racist, sexist, phobic soup, all because of him, because of organized religion, groups that try to control their followers who are all addicts. Living in a dopamine of ignorance, they're afraid of truth, there is no control. Uh, very abrasive, very in your face. Like, this is what it's like when you interact with Elliot when he is Mr. Robot. We're seeing that for the first time. Wait, did I say that yeah. out loud? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and if I don't listen to my imaginary friend, why should I listen, listen to, to yours? yours? And again, this is where we're tying in the something bigger than yourself and the God theory and... You know, now it's interesting that if we think about it that he's Mr. Robot in this moment saying if I don't listen to my imaginary friend he's actually must be thinking of Elliot then uh, no I think I he's think thinking he's about us about himself. I think it is Elliot I don't think it is Mr. Robot I think he's so sleep deprived that he can just yeah. go off like this and he's on so Me much too. Adderall we're you the don't think he looked he like he was falling asleep. Well, it could be us. He was us. falling yeah. asleep. But you don't think it looked like he was falling asleep in that moment? And then he comes he over was. to this rant that's very not Elliot-like? Hmm. You might be right about that. I don't really know. He was falling asleep, but... And then throws I... out the journal, which is like the Mr. Robot move? Oh, yeah. Shit. That's true. But does... He remembers it after it. He talks... I mean, it's not like he doesn't remember the events that happened there. He goes to the diner and meets up with, well, Ray comes in with the notebook and mm -hmm. he's like, oh yeah, I threw that away. It was just uh, caught in a moment or just being awake for that long. I, like I said before, makes you act really crazy. Yeah. But uh, 
Maybe. I love that rant. I thought <laughs> I thought it was great. Um, I know there was some backlash on Reddit about it. I mean, but people are very going to be very opinionated about religion. There was backlash about that? Yeah, too? a lot. Yeah, a lot. A lot of backlash. But the thing is, too, I don't think that you necessarily have to say this is something Sam Esmail believes and is it's endorsing. This is... It's a fucking story. You know, this is maybe not even something that Elliot believes at heart. Like you say, he's going through this insane... I think it is. I don't know. ...struggle right now. Well, I think that he's finding very little to believe in in the world, period. And that's his problem in this moment. Yes. Um, that he's losing faith in things, and especially things that are bigger than him, because everything has just gotten so far out of control. But what? It, what's this backlash? What are they saying? That, well, that it's he's trashing God. That, that it's a pro, yeah, that pro it's speech. God. So you know, he's oh. trashed government before. He's trashed the 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 one percent, and now he's moved on to religion, all organized religion, in fact. Well, Let's not forget this is fiction. This yeah. is a story. Oh, I know. You don't got to yeah, tell me that. <laughs> people are going to back because people on Reddit are going to say they agree with it. And then those people that agree with it we'll are that. going to have their own opinion against it. And it's going to that's a real thing. That's okay. not uh, that's not fiction anymore. It's the whole point of the show is to make commentary on present society and to spark conversation and thought and debate. And I think that the thing here is really to make you question any institution that is greater than yourself, that assumes yes. some form of control over your life, mm-hmm. it the point of this show is to make you question that and to look deeper at things. And I don't think he's necessarily saying, I hate all organized religion and right. F God. It's, it's like, look deeper at what we're talking about, some major, major issues that require reflection. Well, in the same regard, are you saying R.R. Martin believes in dragons? No. <laughs> yeah, do I think, don't think so. Do you think next episode we're going to get a little USA thing before the episode starts that says, USA does not endorse, uh, endorse any opinions <laughs> or messages. We, so, we actually, I think stated we by could. an imaginary friend of <laughs> yes. somebody who's experiencing multiple personality disorder in the throes of drug addiction. P.S. F. Society does else. not really exist. <laughs> <laughs> but they do it before. They do it every episode oh, before they do? South Park. I gotta say, I mean, it's it's getting really crazy because I listen to other podcasts that have so many more listeners than us, and so they need to be a lot more careful about what they're saying. And um, there's one where I feel very bad for him because he has I won't mention any names, but he has some excellent opinions on things, uh, topics that are of a deeper nature and and more difficult to talk about, and you know, some stuff that's really really dicey. And I think that up until now, he's approached it very well and very open-minded and and very good to kind of analyze things from all points. And that's the point of having a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. To talk about what you think. We're just other people with other opinions of our own. And he must be getting a lot of backlash because he's come on in recent podcasts and started every single word that he says. Well, i got to be careful what I say here. Well, I know people are going to get angry at me. Well, well, make sure you understand that I'm not saying this or that. He literally can't speak for two seconds without centering everything he's saying. And I'm thinking to myself, what is the point of podcasting anymore? You know, this is just going to happen. This is the world we live in now, and we we do have this freedom to come out and talk about what we think, and it might be right, it might be wrong. Um, it's a discussion, and exactly. I think Mr. Robot encourages that. 
I don't understand. It seems like nowadays people are so offended by people that have a different opinion from you. But why do you, why is having a different opinion from you such Wrong. a bad thing? Yeah. Yeah, people are offended by everything. And literally everything. People online, you go onto these forums and I can't even look anymore because it's like they just want a reason to go on a rant and to buzz everybody for saying the wrong thing or feeling the wrong way or talking about anything. It's gotten really, really out of control. But yes, anyway, getting back to <laughs> this very long podcast, yeah. I think that kind of is part of what Mr. Robot does, and that's what makes this such an interesting show, when you can have so many various opinions and people feeling this strongly about it. Uh, Sam Esmail is doing a good job of stirring the pot and making you think. Definitely. I love it so far. Well, I've loved it since <laughs> last season. Although this, I, I am on board with you with, it just being too much at this point of the same thing that they need, as I said, they need to move forward. Yeah, it's changed in tone just slightly uh, from last season to this, but I'm still very much enjoying it. And I think that if we just keep it moving forward, things will be great. Right. And back to this episode, we go after Elliot throws out the journal we go to the scene in the diner that we were sort of referencing where Ray gives the notebook back. Threw it out for a reason. I figured you might want it, but down the road. Trust me, I've been there. <clears throat> Five years, seven months. Three weeks and two days ago, my wife passed away. A few weeks of being frozen in my own grief, I woke up one morning, fixed myself breakfast like I normally do, plugged myself into my dialysis machine like I normally do. I started talking out loud. For a second, I thought I was crazy. Moved on with the day. Then, Next day, I did it again. Talked out loud. And the next. And I realized who I was talking to. Now, why are you telling me all of this? Because you and me are a lot more alike than you think, Kelly. And he then tells the story about how his wife died five years ago. And the bottom line is that he was frozen for a long time, not able to do much of anything until he finally got back into his routine one day. And he started to do normal things again, made breakfast, sat down and began talking out loud to her. And he's been doing that ever since. And his correlation is that he thinks him and Elliot are a lot alike. Well, we see him talking to himself earlier in the episode, and I was wondering if maybe there's he's at the table and there's someone sick in bed because he's got that machine yeah. next to him. And I didn't know exactly what was going on. I think I don't think anyone really did. But uh, you're just seeing a glimpse at him talking to his wife, explaining or foreshadowing this conversation that he's going to have with Elliot. 
to to say that he's also talking to an imaginary person. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that he clearly doesn't think that there's anything so quote unquote crazy about that, and um, yeah. that maybe he can understand what Elliot's going through. And I think this is part of just getting him to open up and trying to encourage that still to get him talking. Right. Did you notice the guys in the background that stared at him? I mean, it was pretty obvious when it happened. They were, he goes into the booth and then Elliot sits down and there are two men standing behind the booth, like the booth behind that walking past the kitchen and they're just staring at. Oh no, I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I didn't know if they were, part of Ray's group just watching over or what it was or maybe they're actually for the your theory guards counselors or, or guards yeah. or whatever just seeing what's going on in this situation well yeah that makes total sense especially if Elliot's a uh, possible threat uh, or danger to him in that moment um, I think we can go right to the next scene in the last scene with Elliot before we go back to Di Piero uh, because he's still talking to Ray and telling him how he thought the journal was the answer to control over his life. And Ray says, control isn't real. And that perhaps stumbling in the right direction is the only way to move forward. He also says that he knows about Elliot. He knows that someone sometimes takes over. And, you know, then he goes to get the chess game. We see Mr. Robot is there in the room. But Elliot kind of agrees, and he thinks maybe it's not about avoiding the crash, but just to keep going. So do we think Ray has finally kind of broken through to him in a way? And I feel that Elliot might start to open up to him? Yeah, because he, he, he made him relate. He had a storyline that related to Elliot, I think, a little bit. It feels like Elliot is like... It's Elliot and Ray versus Mr. Robot. Remember they were staring at each other, mm. squaring right. off? Well, and you made an, a point about the actual camera setup in some of these scenes. Oh, my God, yeah. So we have uh, a listener and friend called Jen. Called Jen. Her name is Jen. <laughs> and she... We'll just call her Jen. Jen. <laughs> <laughs> she pointed out that she doesn't like these camera angles when the characters are very close to the edge of the screen. Yeah. And I, d- I didn't write back uh, because I wanted her to hear it with my words, not text, the, the, I actually enjoy that because what Sam is doing is whenever you see these kind of screens, um, we had this in season one when Tyrell was squaring up with the other guy that was CIO. Yes. Well, Jen's, oh, Jen's a photographer too. So she would really notice well, yeah. things like this or she studies photography. So, yeah, but this is more, it's not about the frame as far as making a uh, a cohesive image that is well balanced, this is more about unbalancing it and making us feel uncomfortable. He's but that's why so that she would can, notice it, of course. Yeah. So the reason why I like it is that we're showing that Elliot is being pushed in this scene. Elliot is being pushed by Ray mm-hmm. mentally, and there's a back and forth, and there's tension. I mean, I could talk about this for a while, but the bottom line is he's creating tension for our us to feel and it's the tension that he's feeling and that Ray's feeling because they're fighting each other mentally fighting might not be the right word but I I think you catch my gist Mm -hmm. fighting in season one was the right word with Tyrell in that scene and I think it just it just goes with everything that he does the gray uh, whenever we see Elliot everything is grayer 
and uh, and then this scene, this, these type of cuts, it just or frames, yeah. it just makes sense. It's Sam, and an case, artist. In case you're wondering, like if you can't put your finger on what we're talking about, this um, this was the scene where Elliot's talking to Ray, and you know, first you see Ray, and he's a little bit higher up and to the right of the frame, and then they go back over to Elliot, and he's a little bit lower, lower into the, the left, left of the frame. And so, you know, anybody would, but particularly an artist or somebody with that kind of an eye, would probably look at this and say, I don't like this because it's meant to look like something you don't like. Yes. It's meant to not be aesthetic and to not be comfortable, and it forces you to think about um, visually telling a story about what's evolving between the two characters. And there certainly is an inherent power struggle whenever you put something like that on the screen. It represents somebody dominating over someone else. Yeah. Right. And real quick to sum it up, artistic-wise, it has to deal with negative space. You need to allow in the frame for negative space, for air to breathe, for you to feel that good feeling that you're trying to get in the frame. Mm -hmm. He's not allowing negative space by butting Elliot up to the edge of the screen. Mm -hmm. It creates tension. Mm -hmm. And that's what they say in art is that you're creating tension that way. And it correlates with your brain because mm -hmm. it picks up that tension. I think that definitely we saw that push and pull. And by Elliot accepting the journal back, accepting the chess game and then talking to Ray, it's opening that door to him maybe finally having broken through the initial wall of resistance um, and this is common in therapy, if that's what is, in fact, going on here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you finally get through, then it's a little bit easier to start moving forward. Um, and even if it is some kind of sinister purposes underneath that he wants to uh, work with him or have him get in on something other than this, I think that we're going to see that move forward a lot more quickly now. So the last scene to talk about is back over to Di Piero. She first goes to Rome's house and gets Mrs. Romero to let her in by offering to roll for her. She sees that she's moving out, and Mrs. Romero talks about now that her son is gone, it's just, you know, time to go, and the house is full of boxes. So Di Piero starts going through these wrapping papers, and eventually she finds the end of the world party flyer. <laughs> And Not didn't just that, but code <laughs> written on sheets of paper. Yeah, yeah. The, f the first page she sees around the glass that makes her say, I got to look through the rest. I saw, it was very quick, but I saw the word node. And Ryan, you know, if you're speaking about nodes, you're talking about servers. Right. So that tips her off. But she seemed to dismiss those papers as not, they were a clue, but they weren't necessarily meaningful to her. It wasn't until right. she found that flyer that she struck gold. And yeah, she we found ground knew zero. that was going to be dumb. Like, we were so angry at Darlene for having this party to begin with. But then who the hell thought it was a good idea to print flyers about it? And they say, end of the world party. Yeah. And DJ Mobley. Well, yes, that oh, yes. is the real key because now she goes and she finds the place in Coney Island. But when we were talking about who would be next on the list, the whole episode keeps coming back to Mobley yep. being the loose thread here. And, yeah. you know, his name was the only one on there. We saw, we felt it and saw it, obviously. When they had this party, we knew, we talked about it. That yeah. this is not smart. Something is going to go wrong here. 
It well, just took this long for us to see it. Even if you go back to a scene that we didn't talk about here, because we're at the end of the episode now, um, we didn't talk about the very quick subway scene much earlier on with Mobley. That's right. The cops. Yeah. yeah, there was, it seemed like a homeless man was singing in the subway first, and he's kind of looking around, and then the cops come in and out of the scene. It feels very uncomfortable. Like, we're spending too much time lingering on Mobley, and nothing is happening. We're almost getting paranoid for him. Like, yeah. something's building here. So, so I feel like they emphasize that all episode long, that we're meant to feel worried for him. Well, that goes on with the... I mean, they walked over and were standing over him, in a sense. Well, they were, because he was sitting down. They were just standing over him, very open, in his direction. Yep. And you're just wondering, do they know already? Do they know that he's involved? Are they coming for him? Mm. You know, at that point, I think we had seen that Romero had been shot. Yes, it was right after, right following that, And you knew that he had found him earlier in the episode yeah we didn't know how much they knew from that and he said hi to romero's mother so you didn't know at that point if she had said what something. she had said right but it even it went on longer than that too and then finally darlene came up to him um so i think he's definitely going to be in trouble in the very near future yeah um just real quick because we're getting we're getting really long on this yeah let's I saw the the cops. I didn't see it as the cops knew anything. I just saw it as a way for us to see how paranoid he was getting. The cops don't know anything. He's just paranoid right now. Well, and even he looks like he was very much keeping it under control in that scene. I thought it was us as the viewers that Mm -hmm. were meant to feel paranoid and wonder what was going to happen next. Well, excellent episode. I think that there was a lot to talk about. I'm sure we even missed certain things. So if there's something big or even small that you caught that you would like to bring to our attention, please feel free to write to us. Um, And like we said, if you find an Easter egg that we didn't mention, please let us know. You can tweet us at CKC Podcast or email us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com or go on our Facebook. And yes, you can also rate and review we would love it if you did that leave us a couple of words on itunes review about what you think of the podcast like christine did and we want to thank you very much christine she wrote love you guys and i follow all your podcasts because they are so articulate and intelligent you also know all my cultural references yeah we love getting these messages that means that uh people are listening and we appreciate that because we put time and effort into this and christine Thank you again, and if you could be a doll and write this on our iTunes. Oh, yes, she actually emailed us. That's right. This wasn't an yeah, iTunes Yeah, this was an email. You. If you could write this on our iTunes, we would love you forever. <laughs> we, also, we already really appreciate it, though, uh, everyone who's listening. Uh, thank you very much. We hope we continue to provide a podcast that you enjoy. Let's talk about our rating real quick. Let's get this out. Yes, so just to recap, IMDb gave this a 9.1 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 100%. And I would like to give it 8.8 robots. Wow, you really liked it. Liked it more than the first episode. I gave 9 to the first one. Oh, you did? So I'm a little bit down from the episode one. My bot rating (laughs) is an 8 this time, too. Okay. I gave it a 9 as well last episode. Uh, Christina's copying me. I'm not copying her. 
I gave it an 8.8. 8. Oh, okay. It's not the same. I was a lot higher than you. Uh, I thought it was great, but it did, as, as long as the opening episode was, it didn't feel long. I started to feel wary, like we were talking before, yeah. and it felt a little long. Not that it was boring or anything. Like just my brain couldn't take it, so it it's an 8 much. rating. Okay. Ryan? Yeah, I like this episode a little less than uh, the first episode also, so I'm going to give it a 7.256349234589. Not nine Paulson's out of 10 Robert Paulson's. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Beautiful. Also, one more quick thing. We got a preview for next episode. There's an exchange where Elliot says, what happens if I lose it? And Mr. Robot says, I get to be in charge once and for all. Booyashaka. So very excited about the episode four that we have yet to come, which is entitled init1.asec. I don't even know how you say that or what that means, but that's next up for our Mr. Robot. Uh, Ryan, thank you for, again for coming onto this podcast. And how did it go? You said uh, you text me that it was closed. Yeah, I was super bummed out. It closed at 8, and I got there at 8.30. This is, um, it's only open until Sunday. So if anyone listens to, to the podcast before then, and they can try to get over to, to this, it's on 10th uh, Avenue and 19th Street in Manhattan. Um, it's called Story, and they change the, the store every month. So this one goes, it's Mr. Robot-themed store. They had skee-ball inside and centipede and frogger and then they had all evil corp or e-corp memorabilia or different oh, things cool. uh, i think they had post-its they had other just other stuff like that and what they also do there they have a kind of it's not a contest but they have an atm in there and there's supposedly clues around the store for how to hack into the ATM. And if you can hack into the ATM, you win $50. Wow. Oh, that's sick. So I don't know if the code changes ever. I've got, uh, I got an idea just through looking through the window uh, of uh, ATM pin code that I could try. But <laughs> um, Well, I would, oh. ATM pin code, I would look I would into a, that screenshot of Elliot when he has the code for when he starts to break down mentally. Right. And see if that pin code might be in there. Right. So I spoke about earlier in the episode that there's something in there and I just couldn't find it. Also, if there's a mask there, if it's below 30 bucks, can you buy I it for us? Yeah. And we'll give you the money. And real quick, you think they closed because it was at eight? Or do you think they closed because we it's have been told as viewers that Elliot does not trust us anymore? <laughs> Maybe they knew you were coming. They, they had their eyes did. out for you. <laughs> The Although, FBI's I mean, watching it was too. it was on the door, you know, already stenciled <laughs> in. So they would have had to do a pretty quick, uh, you know, repair job on that to close it early. Uh, real quick, something we missed. It was January 21st. USA Network and Within, they partnered on a Mr. Robot virtual reality experience that was simulcast across the U.S. on July 1st, 21st at 1.45 p.m. Eastern the same day that San Diego Comic-Con starts. Um, Basically, it's a 12-minute short VR, but within teases that you'll get an important flashback from Elliot's past. And no, this isn't throwaway material. Sam Esmail wrote and directed this, so it should maintain Mr. Robot's signature off-kilter style. 
we weren't able able to see it. It's a one-time only affair, and you, there'll be no opportunities to watch it afterwards. So if anyone saw it, let us know. It's a, it was available for Gear VR, iOS, HTC Vibe, and Oculus Rift. If you saw it, let us know what it was about, and we'll talk about it on the podcast. This has been a great episode. We definitely went overboard. San Diego. Yes. <laughs> we definitely went overtime. We're, over, we're at two hours. I'm going to cut it down, so maybe we'll be... Uh, under two hours and thanks you for listening tom we love you we'll never forget about you shout out to tom always great opinions on the episodes and jamal until next time this round's on me this round is on me